gives him a name and John gives his purpose or his, his reason for existing or what he's trying to accomplish. John doesn't give it to him per se, but John records it for us. He says we have a common adversary that is the devil and Satan who deceiveth the whole world. The whole world. John backs up to 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 19. And you may notice there that John's still speaking again or writing again. Brian, can you advance it forward for me one? When he goes forward to 1 John chapter, excuse me, backwards in your Bible to 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 19, you notice that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. If you've got the new King James, if you've got the old King James in front of you, it says that the whole world lies in wickedness. If a person were to pick up their Bible and just open, and I know it would seem unlikely that they would open to those two passages, but if they were, it would seem very bleak. It would seem like a pretty sad picture. But John backs up again, this time to 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 2. He says there is good news. Jesus Christ, the righteous, is the propitiation. Now, that's not a Greek word, but it's hard to say sometimes. The propitiation, the atoning sacrifice. Jesus Christ, the righteous, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. But notice, not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. The devil deceives the whole world. The whole world lies in wickedness. But John is not finished because we have a Savior whose blood has paid the price for the whole world. For two weeks now, we focus on our responsibility to share these facts with the whole world. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if we are going to take the whole gospel to the whole world, then we must teach not only Jesus Christ, but the whole gospel of Christ and the church of Christ. But as we've looked at the last couple of weeks, the important facts that we have, the important news, the good news that we have is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the answer to the question that many in the world are asking. I know it seems like there's a lot of negativity and sin around us, and there is, but, but many people are still yearning and trying to find the answer to that question. You may remember in Acts chapter 11, when Peter is recounting for some of the Jews the vision that Cornelius had, Peter says that it was an angel in Cornelius' house who said to him, to Cornelius, that Peter would tell him and his household the words by which they might be saved. We're going to get to Acts chapter 2 in just a few moments, but you may remember there, that crowd that is gathered there on that day, they sort of interrupt Peter and the apostles, and they say, and they kind of shorten it as we usually like to say it, but they say, men and brethren, what shall we do? And that jailer from Philippi, that Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, who knew his life was over. Do you remember the story? He knew his life was over. The earthquake has happened. The prisoners are freed from their chains. And so he probably with tears in his eyes draws his own sword to take his own life. And Paul stops him. Paul says, wait a minute. Don't do it. We're all still here. And that Philippian jailer, he naturally asked the question that would come next. You remember what the text says there that he has heard in Acts chapter 16? He has heard praying and singing hymns to God all night long. That's what he's been listening. So the natural question is, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's the question. And when we think about carrying the whole gospel to the whole world, then that must include the gospel of Christ. 
If you turn on your television today or any number of days, if you browse YouTube, if you even listen to the radio still sometimes, you'll hear people, yea, even some of our own brethren, who would espouse a message from pulpits all over this land and even here in our own backyard that would say that we just need Jesus. All you need is Jesus. And so they take passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 2, and they say what Paul said, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. But they take that passage and they misunderstand it and they misuse it. They, they rest it and they twist it until it means something totally different. They say things like it's all about Jesus. That all we need is Jesus. And we're not worried about our traditions or the way that we've always done things. We just simply need to preach Jesus. Folks, what about passages like Mark chapter 8 in verse number 38? Jesus himself would say that there would be those who would be ashamed of him and his words, he would say on that occasion. We cannot separate, as we sometimes say, the man from the plan. And I hope you'll hear me very clearly this morning. I say it with all love in my heart, I really do. But far too often, once again, around the world and even here in our own backyard, in pulpits and places where, again, we might refer to these folks as brethren, far too many people are afraid to talk about the gospel plan of salvation. Far too many so-called preachers don't want to talk about hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized. Far too many elderships have decided that it is better for their preacher to end a sermon simply by asking the crowd gathered together if they would like to have a prayer rather than asking them if they would like to become obedient to the blood of Christ and the gospel plan of salvation. I will stand here and readily admit this morning that what we call extending the invitation might be considered a bit of a tradition. It's something that we choose to do. But friends, what better way is there to end a study of the Word of God than to ask folks if they want to become obedient? You cannot separate Jesus from His words. And so what we want to do with our remaining time together this morning is see in His words what we should do, the whole gospel. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to the first five books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. I heard our brother Cliff Goodwin recently share these thoughts in this manner, and it was too easy to see. I said, I've got to use that because it's just too easy when we look at it in this manner. What we want to do this morning is look, first of all, at the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and their accounts of the Great Commission. Then we're going to look at the thesis statement of John. It's found at the end where you would expect to find the Great Commission. And then we want to look at the Great Commission begun. You may remember in Luke chapter 24 in verse number 49 that, that Jesus would tell those apostles, but tarry, but stay in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So they're going to do that. But then on that great Pentecost day, the Great Commission will begin to be shared. So if you've got your Bibles, let's turn first to Matthew chapter 28 and verses 18 through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. The eleven have gone to Galilee, the context tells us, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When he appears, they see him and he says, the old King James says, go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. 
Now, if you've got the New King James in front of you or even the English standard, the Bible says there, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. Now, when we look at this and we break it down in an English kind of context, breaking down the sentence, the primary verb is to make disciples. The word that's used there is mathetuo. It means to make disciples. Disciples. So when you read that in other places or other versions, that's what we're talking about. That's the primary verb. Go and make disciples. But then that primary verb is followed up with two what's called modal participles. Two modal participles. How you carry out the primary verb. The modal participles tell you how to carry out the primary verb of making disciples. Lord, how do I do that? How do I make disciples? Well, one, you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And number two, you teach. Teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. How many things, Lord? All things that I have commanded you. The emphasis in Matthew here is upon hearing. Hearing. You've got to hear in order to be made a disciple. You've got to hear in order to be taught. The emphasis is on hearing, sharing these words with others that they might hear them. I believe a a person could pick up a Bible and read through it and, and find the things that God wants them to know. But certainly it's easier, whether it's from the voice of the preacher or whether it's from your voice or sitting across the table from each other, that we could open the Bible and hear the word of God. And Matthew talks about that there when he says that we need to make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things. So when we look at Matthew, the emphasis is on hearing. But let's go to Mark. Mark chapter 16 and verses 15 and 16. Again, Mark's account of the Great Commission as Jesus is going to give it. Mark 16, 15 through 16. And he said to them, go into all the world, you know the phrases, and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Again, most of the world knows that you've heard it, many of you probably for most of your life, but believing. The emphasis here is on believing. He that believes. And really, when you look at the entire account of Mark, Mark's account of the gospel of Jesus, there is an emphasis all the way through on faith and belief. We're not studying Mark this morning, so we don't have time to look at all the passages. But when you go back through and you look at some of the parables and some of the different interactions that Jesus has with people, you see an emphasis on believing, on faith. So Mark says that a person needs to believe, or at least he records again the Great Commission, the words of Jesus saying, he that believes. Let's go forward to Luke. Luke chapter 24 and verses 46 through 47. Again, the Great Commission, again, at the end of the account of the gospel here. Luke 24, 46 through 47. Now, while you're turning there, when we talk about this particular step or this next thing a person must do, and we talk about Luke's account of the gospel, we oftentimes quote what? Luke chapter 13 and verse number 3. Except ye repent, you'll all likewise perish. Jesus says it twice there. Luke 13 verse 3 and Luke 13 verse 5. He says that a person needs to repent. But let's look again at the Great Commission. Verse number 45, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that what? Repentance, 
and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Luke talks about repentance, that we need to repent. Not only that, but what else is recorded in Luke? The parable of the prodigal son, the lost son, the son who was repentant, who needed to come home and change his mind. In the Bible, Jesus actually says there that he did that. He came to himself, changed his mind, and went back to the father. He repented is what he did. So Luke records for us in several places, just as we talked about Mark and believing, Luke records for us the idea of repenting. And Luke's account of the Great Commission here in verses 46 and verse 47, it doesn't talk about believing. It doesn't talk about baptism, but it talks about repentance. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations. Let's go forward to John. John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. Again, what we're looking at here, what we're talking about is the idea of the thesis statement of John, if you will. John doesn't record for us the Great Commission in the same way. Again, even though they're a little different, he doesn't record for us the, the Great Commission in that same frame. But we look at verses 30 through 31 and we see John's purpose. John 20, 30 through 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe, what? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. Question, what is it that we're supposed to confess? What is it that we're supposed to confess? Not the Catholic version, you know, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned, or it's been two years since my last confession. We're not talking about that. But what did the Ethiopian nobleman confess in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 37? Was it not this same phrase, but that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? John writes and he says, this is the reason that I've spent this time. This is the reason that I've spent writing this account of the gospel. The entire gospel is written so that you might believe and that in believing you may have life in his name. That you may be able to confess, as John says there, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so we look at John's account here and we think about confessing this great statement. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But let's go forward one more time to the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2. And you know again the occasion here, the setting, the day of Pentecost has come. They're all in accord. Not all 120 disciples, but the 11 or the 12, excuse me, are gathered there. Now including Matthias. And suddenly there comes there at the beginning of the chapter. A sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It fills the whole house. And those are gathered there who are going to be speaking. And in verse number three, it appears to them that who are gathered, divided tongues as of fire and how one sat upon each of them. And they began to preach. They began to share this gospel of Christ, this whole message. Notice in verse number five, we see that there are Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And they're hearing these words in their own language. And I, I can imagine, try to imagine what it would have been like to see Peter stand up there in verse number 14, standing up with the other 11, raising his voice and saying to them and beginning this great, we oftentimes call it the first gospel sermon. 
He does the same thing that Philip does in Acts chapter 8 with that Ethiopian nobleman. He begins to preach unto them Jesus. He quotes from, of course, Joel there. He talks about David, but he talks about the one, this Jesus of Nazareth in verse number 22. This one who God has raised up, this one who they have killed with lawless hands in verse number 23. And in something that we would never even imagine happening today, right? We get the idea, you may have heard a preacher or two say before, that it seems like Peter is interrupted. I mean, we we would take someone out and whip them if they interrupted the preacher today, right? There's no interrupting the preacher today, but yet it seems like Peter is speaking and they interrupt him there. And verse number 37, but notice why. Why is it that they might interrupt Peter and the 11 who are preaching? Because they were cut to the heart. Conviction of sin. We talk about that sometimes. Maybe you felt it. Maybe you didn't feel it in the same way. Maybe you felt like others who said, when I realized that I need to be baptized, I was not going to delay another moment. I've shared this with you before, but even my own wife says that she told her daddy, I'm ready to be baptized. And she was a little young. And he said, I don't know that you're ready. And she said, if you won't do it, I'll find somebody else who will. All right. That's the kind of feeling. And maybe you had that and maybe you didn't. When we've talked about that before, I said, I I don't know that I felt that way exactly, that type of conviction. I thought about it all day on a Sunday, got to Sunday night before I stepped out into that aisle. But, But, you know, I thought about it for a while. I didn't quite feel that same way. I was convicted of my sin, but maybe not in that same moment that I was going to say, you know, I'll find somebody who will. But what happens to them there? They're cut to the heart. They're convicted of their sins. They realize it is their lawless hands who have crucified the Son of God. And so they ask that great question that we talked about already. Men and brethren, what shall we do? We've got a problem on one hand, but we've got the solution on the other. What are we going to do? And in verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Be baptized. What did the Jews do there in Acts chapter 2? They were baptized. What did the Samaritans do when you read forward in Acts chapter 8? Both men and women, they were baptized. What did Cornelius do in Acts chapter 10? He was baptized. All throughout Acts, everywhere that we turn, people are baptized in order to be saved. Very simple to follow along. You can use something like these booklets. You can use something as simple as your Bible. You can use some of the charts that are out there that you can look at. But we see time and time again, this is what people were doing in order to be saved. So, this morning, if you open your Bible, if you open your New Testament, and you look at the first five books, you see hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized. You see, I'm afraid that oftentimes many folks want to downgrade that and they want to say, well, you use your fingers and you put it on your hand and it's just something that you've always talked about. It's old and we need to change things. We need to think of something different. Friends, why don't we preach this anymore? Why is it that folks are afraid to talk about it? I'd say this morning, if it is wrong this morning, then it was wrong 200 years ago. If it's wrong this morning, then it was wrong 2000 years ago. We can talk about it on our fingertips just to help us remember, but that doesn't make it any less Bible when we talk about how a person needs to be saved. Folks, it is not only right simply because God said it was so, although that's true, but think about it for just a moment. It's a natural progression. Maybe you did it with thinking about it. Maybe you did it without. Maybe you've tried to share it with someone, but it's a natural progression. People cannot believe what they have not heard. 
When we go all the way back to hearing, we don't just say that. You've heard some of the things this morning, but you can't believe what you don't know, what you have not heard. Men and women have to believe in order to be motivated to repent. Why would I stand up here and say I repent of my sins if there's not something that is urging me to do that? I've got to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God to be motivated to repent. And if you are not penitent, if a person is not penitent, when you make that confession, then it is nothing more than a charade. It is nothing more than play acting if a person is not willing to make that great confession and do so with a penitent heart. And how in the world am I or anyone else going to baptize someone that is not willing to confess Jesus Christ as Lord? Friends, we're not interested in making dry sinners wet sinners. That's not what we're trying to do when it comes to these things. And can I ask you for just a moment to consider seriously what we're doing here? And as we kind of draw this to a close, if you would like to set your Bibles aside, get out your song books, if you choose to use one, that's fine. I don't want you to miss these last few moments. Brothers and sisters, I'm thankful that we've been able to share these last few weeks the importance of taking the saving message to a lost world. And I've been extremely encouraged by your responses, your willingness to share with me your desire to begin renewed efforts in talking about Jesus with your family and friends and neighbors. But can I ask you and even beg of you, please, that whatever format you should choose, whether it's the back to the Bible booklets that we've mentioned and many like that will lay a foundation of biblical authority that is very important to helping someone understanding God's message. But can I beg of you that when you discuss Jesus Christ with someone that you not forget the gospel plan of salvation? He shed his blood for it. He paid the price. He died for it. And as the writer of Hebrews says in, in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 28, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And for the third week in a row here, as we conclude this lesson, you cannot share what you have not obeyed. Would you obey the gospel of Christ this morning? Hearing the word of God, believing that word that Jesus is the son of God, repenting of your sins, changing your mind simply, not going towards sin and self any longer, but turning to follow after Christ, changing your mind about the way that you are living, confessing that Jesus is Lord, the son of the living God, and being baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. And two other facts. If you believe you don't know enough, this moment we'll study with you. And two, the invitation is not only open at the end of the sermon, but is open 24-7 to anyone who may be willing and ready at any time to make the greatest decision of your life. Or maybe you've done that. But as the Bible says, your heart is not right with God. You see, we realize that when a person is baptized, they become a Christian. The Lord adds them to the church, but it doesn't mean they're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean there's going to be no issues going forward. We're thankful for the plan of salvation. We're thankful as well for God's second law of pardon, that we can repent of our sins, confess them before God, even confess them before an audience such as this, so that they can pray with you and for you. And we know that God is faithful to forgive. Through conf confession, repentance, and prayer, the way home is made available. Would you make your life right with God? Even now as we stand together and then as